the end of the age, the eternal state, or the new heavens and the new earth. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 23-28, 2 Peter 3 verses 10-15, Revelation 21 verses 1-8. Last week, the subject was the millennium, or the glorious mediatorial kingdom of the Son of Man. Some have, it appears, a difficulty as to what has been termed the secret rapture, but a careful study of the book of Revelation in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 14-17 and 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 and 3. Will, I think, with other scriptures, make it plain that, as the saints are to appear with Christ when he comes out of heaven to execute judgment, and as the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven, before the saints follow Christ out of heaven they must have been previously taken into heaven. It would be going into a subject previously spoken of to say much more. I may, by a simple illustration, help some to seize what I believe Scripture teaches on the subject. So I will ask you to suppose a rebellion in this island against the authority of the sovereign. The heir to the throne is sent to quell the rebellion and to win back hearts to the sovereign, but all is of no avail, and, with the exception of a few faithful ones who rally round him, the mass reject his offers and send him out of the island with scorn and ignominious treatment. My illustration fails here because the Lord was not only rejected and despised, but crucified by man and raised from the dead by God. But to pursue my illustration. After long patience the sovereign decides to send the heir to the throne with a great host to subdue the rebels by power, the testimony of the few faithful ones who have proclaimed her willingness to pardon and receive into her court all who believe in her son and own him to be the rightful heir, having been despised. But before the heir with this mighty army comes to destroy the rebels, the faithful ones, who have testified to his worthiness and his right, are secretly removed from the island, that they may not be involved in the punishment of the rebels, and that they may accompany the heir to the throne on his return to take the throne by power. If, subsequently to the secret removal of the faithful ones to accompany the heir on his return, some of the true islanders born and bred on the island were to repent of their deeds, separate themselves from the rebels and wait in patience for the return of the true heir, they would represent the new company in Jerusalem after the rapture of the church. This company is the Jewish remnant, the seed of Abraham, to whom Palestine has been given who will be found true to Messiah and his name in the final state of apostate Judaism in the land of Palestine, waiting to be delivered at the Lord's appearing. But I must pass on to the subject of the eternal state, which I was unable to speak about on the last occasion. In the first passage we read, not only that all things are put under the feet of Christ as man, but that he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and that when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power he will deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, and, when all things shall be subdued to him, that is Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. It is a very remarkable passage, showing us the object of the mediatorial kingdom of the Son of Man, namely the maintenance of righteous government by power, during a period of a thousand years, by Christ as man, on the part of God and then, when all things shall be subdued to him, and death destroyed, the kingdom will be delivered into the hands of God, and the Son himself as man will cease to rule as the exalted man, and become subject himself to God as man in the new heavens and the new earth, where righteousness will dwell eternally. All that has failed and broken down in man's hand in the past will be made good and displayed in perfection in the mediatorial kingdom in the hands of Christ. Solomon's bright day faded away through his failure in his old age, and soon after his death, his kingdom was divided. The Gentile empires began, and will end, with idolatry and oppression. The priesthood in Israel failed at the commencement and end of its history. 
but administration on the part of God will be displayed in perfection by him who will be both king and priest upon his throne, during a period of a thousand years, Zechariah 6 verses 12 to 13. Then the closing scene will be the judgment of the dead before the great white throne, according to their works. Death and the grave deliver up the dead that are in them, and the sea gives up the dead that are in it and whosoever is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. The living are not there. The book of life in which their names are written is opened, but the judgment is a judgment of the dead only who are raised from their graves, and they are all cast into the lake of fire. And death and the grave are also cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the close of the seven thousand years of time, and introduces us to the eternal state of which the Apostle Peter speaks in the second passage which I read. We according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Sin is kept from breaking out, or is dealt with in righteous judgment whenever it occurs during the millennium, but sin is not put entirely out of the world, and until it is it cannot be said that righteousness dwells, but righteousness reigns in the millennium, just as grace reigns now through righteousness to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The proof that a reign of righteousness and blessing for a thousand years under the sway of Christ does not change the heart of man is found in the fact that, when the devil is let loose at the end of the thousand years, he goes out and deceives the nations as before, and gathers them together to battle, and they compass the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, which is evidently Jerusalem on earth, where these nations are destroyed by fire which comes down from God out of heaven. The present order of things is then changed, the devil and all the wicked are cast into the lake of fire, and death and the grave are cast in also, for there are no more sinners and there is no more sin. God wipes away all tears and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The devil and sin and all the consequences flowing from the existence of the tempter and evil are gone forever, for the Lord Jesus was manifested to undo the works of the devil and to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. God's original thought and purpose is then reached, namely, that he will dwell with men, and he will be their God, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, their God. What a blessed consummation! And what a prospect is thus opened up to the hearts of his people! The eternal rest and dwelling place of God. But first there must be the dissolution of material things as they now exist, where alas! The hearts of all are found who know not Christ. The heavens, the apostle tells us, shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. And what is the exhortation which the apostle founds upon this fact? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God? Have you ever thought what was the value of property the night before the flood? We are told that everything was going on the same as usual, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. The Apostle Peter does not refer to the Lord's coming to take his saints to heaven, but he looks on upon earth to the dissolution of material things and the present heavens and earth, and presents to the gaze of faith, according to God's promise, the new heavens and new earth where righteousness will dwell. Now what is to wean us from earth and all the things that are going to be dissolved? Well, I know of nothing but the knowledge of Christ and his love. No doubt we must learn at the same time the evil that is in the flesh, and that under the sun all is vanity and vexation of spirit, but after all it comes to this. Tis the treasure I've found in his love. 
that has made me a pilgrim below. You may have doctrines innumerable at your fingers' ends, and be capable of discussing theological opinions, and yet be as cold as a stone, and have an unsatisfied heart. Believe me, beloved friends, there is only one remedy for an unsatisfied heart and that is Christ. Look at the great example of this which we have in the Apostle Paul, there was no one could boast in fleshly privileges and position as he could, Philippians 3, yet he was content to be stripped of everything, to suffer the loss of all things, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ his Lord. So with the martyrs. Did they go to the stake for a set of doctrines? Not at all. They died because they could not, would not, deny a person they knew, the blessed Son of God Himself. The secret of true Christianity, and the power of it, is the revelation of a divine person whose love is able to satisfy our souls, and who delights to lead us into the apprehension of what satisfies Himself, in the portion He has with His Father and His God, whom He reveals to our souls. But I must pass on, to say a few more words about God's dwelling with men. Directly Israel were redeemed out of Egypt we find Jehovah saying, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. And accordingly he had his tabernacle in the midst of them in the wilderness, though the high priest alone could enter into the holiest of all once every year, and that not without blood. I do not dwell longer on this, because it was typical of the wonderful reality which was to take place after the accomplishment of redemption by the Son himself. Then we know that at Pentecost the Holy Ghost, himself a divine person, came down from heaven to dwell in believers individually and in the whole church collectively, to constitute individuals members of the body of which Christ in heaven is the exalted head, and to make the church on earth as a whole a habitation of God by the Spirit. The Lord, you will remember, promised the disciples that he would send them another Comforter, who should abide with them forever. Accordingly, the Comforter came on the day of Pentecost and has been dwelling in the church ever since. Do you know, dear friends, the blessedness of having this heavenly guest, so that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost which you have of God, and you are not your own but bought with a price? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, says the Apostle Paul, by which you are sealed to the day of redemption. Greater is he that is in you, says the Apostle John, than he that is in the world. It is a wonderful truth, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost in the individual Christian and in the Church, for all intelligence, and all joy, and all power, is connected with the Spirit of God, and the very state of the Christian is characterized by the Spirit, you are not in flesh, but in spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwelling you. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But I must pass on. If we want to enjoy the present fruit of the indwelling of the Spirit in our souls we shall find it in the path of obedience, according to John 14 verse 22, where the Lord says, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and make our abode with him. And again in John 7, He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There is something very affecting in the words, that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. It is, as it were, his joy and delight to remove all traces of the past, the fruit, alas, of man's sin, and there is such force in that word God himself shall be with them, their God. It is no other God, but the one true God himself, the Creator and the Redeemer, revealed surely in Jesus the Son, but none the less God himself, and his tabernacle is with men, that is, the church in its aspect as his eternal dwelling place. The holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There has been no fading of her bridal beauty during the thousand years of her mediatorial reign, as she was at the marriage supper of the Lamb, 
so she is seen as a bride adorned for her husband when eternity begins. What can I say more? We shall find the thought of dwelling in Jehovah's house in the Psalms as the height of blessing to the godly Jew. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwells. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Now though all these, and other passages in the Psalms, refer to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, still we understand that the true heart delighted to be found in the place where Jehovah dwelt, and his presence was to be found. And how much more will this be so in the new heavens and new earth? Where God will be all in all, dwelling among men, and Jesus himself, eternally man in all his blessedness, subject to God among men, yet he himself God, never less than he was in the past eternity when he created all things, and since upholding all things by the word of his power. It is he who says, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. May you all, beloved friends, know what it is, in this hour of grace, to drink at the streams of grace. We must drink for ourselves and be satisfied, before anything can flow upward in worship to God, or outward in refreshment to man. But there is no effort in true Christianity. Mark the stream flowing down the mountainside. There is no effort there. You have only to trace it back to its source, to find it springing up like a living thing, and flowing forth, and flowing on, till it finds a resting place or loses itself in the ocean. And this is true Christianity. Life in the Spirit's power, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. We must taste the reality of divine joys now, the love of God, the love of Christ, and holy and heavenly relationships, and the affections that belong to them, if the future is to be a bright prospect for our souls. Doubts and fears are excused in some quarters and treated as humility. I call them sins, for it is as good as saying that what Christ says is not true, when he says, My sheep shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The fact is that some people have taken the place of worshippers, when they have never been in the sinner's place, and it is no wonder that they have not peace with God. They have no title to approach God at all, for access to the Father is only through Christ, I am the way and the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father, but by me. Through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. If anyone wishes to be presented at court they must find someone who was entitled to present them to the Sovereign, and in like manner man has no status before God and no title to approach except through Christ and his accepted sacrifice. Without shedding of blood there is no remission, and all the fruit of the natural heart is only like the fruit of the ground which God had cursed, which Cain presented to the Lord. But believers have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and are, moreover, members of the priestly family, associated with their great high priest, who has already entered into the holiest. It is an awful thought to think of the natural man, presenting himself as a worshipper under a religious garb, for the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The Christian has disappeared and come to an end in God's account, as to his state in flesh and sin, in the death of Christ, and has reappeared again in Christ risen and glorified. As the Apostle says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, 
and the life which I now live in flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. May this be the language of every one in this hall tonight. That the prospect of the Lord's coming for his people, and his glorious reign, may be bright in their souls.